All right, we're in Revelation chapter 4, and I'm excited. Today we kind of transition uh, into the rest of this vision. A lot of people see a, they see a disconnect from chapters uh, 1, then chapters 2 and 3, and then chapter 4 through chapter 22. Um, but as you know, you know, I kind of question a lot of those uh, typical understandings of the scriptures, and I want to kind of get up under and say, okay, is that really how it's to be understood? Just because it trans seemingly transitions from one type of writing to another, let's dig up under the text and see, okay, are we to understand this as a completely disconnected section of Revelation, or is this just carrying on business as normal? So we'll look at that a little bit today, but we'll start in Revelation chapter 4, and it does transition back into this visionary type, this prophetic vision type genre writing for us to understand that this is a a picture being painted for us that we might understand a prophetic reality. If that doesn't make sense to you, let's say it like this. It's almost like John is, is drawing things out in a picture book, okay? He's, he's, he's drawing it out as in like a cartoon. And he's saying, this is what's happening, this is what has happened, and this is what will happen. And he gives us pictures instead of words, words that draw pictures for us to understand. Now, I, in, I intend to show you that he is conveying a message through this, though, that we are to, to understand through some Old Testament allusion, through some, uh, through some uh, uh, New Testament allusion and some New Testament lenses that we are to view this through, and that we are to take this understanding of what we are seeing in the Scriptures and apply it to our lives and allow it to or, or watch it change us uh, from the inside out, okay? And I believe as, as the Lord just lines things up, it's just been amazing to me to watch the things that he's been doing in my life and some of your lives and how revelation has been revolutionary for me. I mean, I had a guy ask me last night, I was talking back and forth with him, he said, has the series been helpful to you? I'm not sure if the series has been extremely helpful to you guys or not, but this has been the most influential series in my life ever. And I'll tell you why, it's not necessarily because of the information in Revelation, which it's great information, but it's the understanding that I've had to develop in order to understand Revelation. Does that make sense? Because in order to understand Revelation, you must understand how the Old Testament is understood through the New Testament and vice versa. And so this has forced me to develop my biblical theology. If you've heard me talk about the differences, a systematic theology is putting different ideas about God and the scriptures in categories. So we, a systematic theological approach would be like talking about a topic like salvation, the deity of Christ, or um, the, the, the attributes of Christ, these types of things. But a biblical theology more or less follows threads through the Bible that connect the Bible together. So it may be things like the, uh, the idea of sonship or the idea of the city of God, which you can follow that, th that thread th all the way throughout. And when you pull it, you can, when you pull it in Genesis, you see it pull in Revelation. 
So I've had to develop my, my biblical theology. God's developed my biblical theology so that I might have a better understanding of what Revelation is teaching. And so I've been very appreciative of that. And all of this serves as training to you on how to understand the scriptures and how to read. Now, I know we're all on different levels. We're all in different places in our ability to open the scriptures, read them, and understand what they mean and how it applies to us, okay? And so we always try to put this on a level that we can all understand it and apply it to our lives. So whether you're advanced or whether you are new, and l let me say, I know Christians who have been Christians for 40 years, and they still don't know how to read the Bible. But I know Christians who have been Christians for three months, and they have a better understanding than many that I've seen uh, that have been Christians for 20, 30, 40 years. It really depends on how the Lord enlightens you and how how serious you are. How serious are you? And you say, well, it doesn't really matter. I believe in Jesus. I don't need to be a theologian. Brother, sister, you are a theologian. There's just good ones and bad ones. That's just the only way you can view it. You either, you're either a, a good theologian or a bad theologian. Everybody is a theologian, okay? And it's really lazy to say, I believe in Jesus, but I have no clue who he really is. That's lazy. And so if you, want to take, if you want to take a step in being part of the solution that I spoke of earlier, in being great fathers and husbands and, and, and being great men of God, women, great women of God and mothers and, and wives, then get into the scriptures, understand what they say, submit to Christ in the scriptures and be who God's called you to be and watch what happens. Watch what happens. I told you that racism and all these types of things are fruit that is growing out of a deeper root. Well, if you will cut the root, be transformed by the scriptures, and that you will grow out of Christ, then the fruit on the tree will transform, and you will watch yourself be used by God to make a difference in the lives of those around you. That's how we, one at a time, make a difference in our community, in our county, in our state, and in our world. We really can change the world starting right here. Just ask Christ. Just ask Christ. He had one beloved disciples. He had three in the inner circle, 12, 72, and he changed the world. He changed the world. We just need to do the same thing. Make disciples. Make disciples. Now, I say all that to say, as we open up the scriptures in Revelation chapter 4, we're going, to get a, we're going to take a look into the throne room of heaven, the throne in heaven. And what I suggest is, is that the throne in heaven is really a picture of what the church should be on earth. It's also a picture, we've seen this picture several times before, as I did a whole series on the tabernacle uh, and, the, and the layout of the tabernacle, from the bronze altar to the bronze laver uh, to the altar of incense and on into the Holy of Holies. And we see how this unfolds to show us exactly how our relationship with Christ is really to unfold. Well, today, as we, as we gaze into the throne room of heaven, as we gaze at the throne of heaven, we're really going to see the tabernacle, the temple, and ultimately Jesus Christ Christ 
in a different way. And we can learn a lot from those pictures that we've already learned about in looking at the throne in heaven. Seated on it is none other than Jesus Christ. So as we do that today, as we, as we gaze into the throne room of heaven, as we see a picture of Jesus Christ in all of his glory, what we will want to do after that is once we establish what the text is saying, we want to ask the question, okay, Brandon, what does this mean for me? How, does this, how should this transform me? And, 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 and what what should this change in my life? How can I apply this to let the scriptures then transform me into who God wants me to be in a greater way? Amen? That sound like a good task at hand? All right. Well, let's stand to our feet in reverence of God's word. I'll read the scriptures. I'm only reading through, uh, chap- uh, through verse 6. That's all we're looking at today, six verses. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's, open, let's, let's turn back now to Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I want, to take a picture, I want to take a look at this throne room, and what we're going to see is the throne and those things situated around the throne, a description of the throne and a description of what it would be like if you were John standing, looking at the throne in heaven. Isn't this a beautiful picture? This is where we all want to be, and if we're Christians, this is where we all will be. And I'll tell you, as we look at the throne in heaven, let us think about this. Heaven is the perfection of, of, of messed up, jacked up, uh, uh, sinful things down here. So once we are alleviated from all of our sin, and once we are washed clean from all presence of sin, and we gather around the throne, we gather around Christ, this is what it's going to look like. So as we go through, we can also gain aspects and insights on how we are to go about doing church down here. Because all church is, and I say church, not meaning church as, a, as an organism, but church as a gathering. You know, there's different ways to understand that. What I mean is the corporate gathering of the church, okay? The corporate gathering of the saints of God. This is really what it should, what it should look like in many ways, is that we are to gather around Jesus Christ. We are to honor and glorify him. We will see singing. We will see all of these things. And so as we read through, we say, okay, God, how, how are we walking out church? How are we walking out the gathering? How am I walking out my life? to emulate and to kind of mirror what I see right here. So I'm telling you that is that when we read through this and as we study and unpack this a little bit, we need to ask, is my life demonstrating what my life will be like when I'm fully perfected in Jesus Christ? Because I'm telling you now is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning this, is that we all, we've already seen in Revelation chapter 1 that John, the, the, the 
the apostle John, the beloved disciple, tells us a great window. He gives us a great window when he tells us that he is a partaker in the tribulation and in the kingdom. So we know and understand that we are already partaking of the tribulation, which was inaugurated or started at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and even before. But really at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, both of these things were inaugurated. The tribulation, which has come upon us, we're in the middle of it. It will get worse, but also the kingdom. Jesus Christ said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Christ is the author of this. He's the king of this. And we've already entered into his presence. And so really, he has brought heaven to earth, right? As they just sang. And you are the ambassadors of Christ, which is the picture of heaven walking around on earth. This is how evangelism works. You are to be a reflection of the king of kings. And when people look at you, you shouldn't have to say, let me lead you down the Roman road. God can use the Roman road. Praise the Lord for those types of things. I don't have a problem in the world. But you know, the realest evangelism, the greatest evangelism, the most powerful evangelism is when you're so filled up full of Jesus Christ that it spills over onto everybody around you and you can't even help it. You can't even help it. They look at you. Donnie told me this a while back, and he's absolutely telling the truth. I knew it when I became a Christian. I've seen it a few times after that. When I get fired up about Jesus Christ, and I get my, my lenses on so that I can see exactly what Jesus has done in my life, and I start walking as if he actually did it, I got people coming up to me going, what the heck's going on with you? I need to get some of what you chiefing on. I need some of what you're selling. What are you doing? What's in your life? What's going on with you? Well, let me tell you about my Jesus. You see, I didn't have to go knocking door to door. Although, go knock door to door. That's fine. Great. Do it. Let's do it together. But I didn't have to. Why? Because people were coming to me. Because people know deep down that this is what they need. They need Jesus. They were created for Jesus. We saw that last week. Amen? Amen? We need to be living this stuff out. We need to be displaying the throne room of heaven even now because the kingdom of heaven is already here. It's living in you. It's living in you. If you're a born-again child of the king. Listen to what he says about this throne room. John, coming out of the letters to the churches, and you know there were seven letters to seven churches, and and it described a lot of things. One of the main things was, and I think this carries right over into chapters four and five, is the theme of the glory of God, the riches of heaven, the reality of Jesus Christ and and his completed work on the cross through the death on the cross and the resurrection with power overcoming death, hell, and Satan. This reality would carry believers through trials, through sufferings, and that they would come out on the other side not just okay, but in a glorified state along with their Savior. That because Christ uh, died, because Christ rose again, that those of you who suffer with him will be glorified with him. As a matter of fact, it makes no bones about it that if you love Jesus, that if you press into him, that you will experience troubles, you will experience trials. Every single letter just about spoke of those who had compromised their faith with the culture at hand and they received worldly riches but forfeited heavenly riches. But on the other hand, 
Those who seem to be poor here on this side because they refuse to compromise with the culture. They refuse to compromise with idolatry and therefore they were cut off from the trade guilds and the, and the money making and the businesses. They were outcasts in society. Though it looked like they were poor, they were rich beyond measure. That's the scripture, guys. That's the scripture. And so they, though I know that you are pressing in, Mike, me and you talked about this morning. Brother, you say you're struggling. I say you're in training. Amen? Amen? And that man, hey, that man right I don't even know if you, you, you was okay with me calling you out, but I'm calling you out. That that man right there, I've seen him grow in leaps and bounds in the last months and years. Shoot. The ones of you who are true believers who have went into the fire are the ones I've, I've seen come out the most shiny. You show me somebody that's got it easy, I can't see much growth, generally speaking. Well, here we see that this theme carries right into chapter 4, and we, and we will watch as chapters 4 and 5 speak of the glories of Christ and the implication of that glory to those who believe and stand fast to the end. So there's no such thing as a halfway crook. There's no such thing as a halfway Christian. We saw that last week. Jesus Christ said, I wish you were either hot or cold. I wish you was good some way, one way or the other. But because you're in the middle, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. Halfway Christians make Christ sick. That's the Bible. It's not me. Don't throw stones at the messenger. You either need to get with it or you're going to suffer the wrath of God. Okay? There's no fence riding. There is no fence. I don't know where that came from. Okay? It might be a fence, but you can't get on it. All right? So here we see, though, that this theme carries over. So I don't say that to be mean. I say that to push you and to motivate you and, and to call you into repentance because you have untapped potential in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that has filled you, if you're a true believer, that you are abusing and that you are not using in order to do all the amazing things that God has called you to do. Why hold this gift in? Let's let it loose, people of God. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I don't always live to my full potential. Don't know that I've ever hit my full potential. But please pray for me as I pray for you. And hold me accountable as I hold you accountable. And don't let me slack because there's a whole world of people out there that need saving. And there's a great God up there that deserves glorifying. Amen? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Now, I ain't even got into the text yet. Chapter 4, verse 1. <laughs> It says, after this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, and he says some things. Let's go back. Let's start here. We got to start here. Because what we need to ask the question is, is chapter 4, is it transitioning so that we need to say, okay, chapter 1 was this, chapter 2 and 3 was this, and now we need to forget about that, and chapter 4 on is this. Some people do that because of the words, after this I looked. And they say, okay, we're done with this, and now it's after that, so we need to push on to this. But I think that's a mistake. And, I'll, and I'll, as we go through, I think you'll just see why that's a mistake. And how chapter 4 is tied so closely to chapters 3, chapters 2, and chapter 1. And so what we see here, when he says, after this I looked and behold. And I think what we need to ask the question is, okay, what does he mean by after this? Is this a completely different vision that's going to happen after that vision that happened? 
Is it going to be like in sequence? Is number chapter one going to happen? Chapter two and three going to happen? Chapter four is going to happen? Is it like that? Or is there another way to understand this? And I think there's an easy other way to understand this. And, it, and it, you'll see this show up also in chapter seven very clearly. Chapter seven, verse one, chapter seven, verse nine. What he means here is that it's not a whole different set of events, but it's just the next vision he saw. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not after these things happen, now these things happen. It's that I was looking at that, and after he showed me that, he showed me this. You see what I'm saying? After this, I looked and behold. So after he had saw the first vision of Jesus Christ in chapter 1, and then he, he laid out what that vision meant for the churches, then he's going to say, after I saw that vision, I looked and I saw another vision. But guess what? This vision is going to inform us about the churches as well. Because just like chapter 1, verse 19, if you want to turn back over there with me or I'll just read it, chapter 1, verse 19 gives us a clue as to how we are to read the prophetic visionary writings of John, and, it's, and he says it like this. He says, write therefore the things that you have seen, past tense, those that are, present tense, and those that are to take place after this. You see, so it's, it's this myriad of things, and we already seen, we, we've already seen that in the writings of Revelation anyway, where John says, I, your brother, uh, and partaker in the tribulation and in the kingdom. So it's really this idea of an already not yet type of thing. The kingdom is already here, but it's not yet completed. Tribulation is already here, but yet it's not yet completed. And, and we see in, in Revelation chapter 4 that many of the things that we see in here, they will apply to things that have already happened. One being the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They, they will apply to things that are present such as the letters to the churches. He's writing these churches, and he's writing chapter 4 in order to inform the churches that he wrote about in 2 and 3 so that they might know what's going to carry them through, get this, things that are coming. You see? You see? So this is applicable to us, too, because... Hunter, I know you're going to go through some stuff at some point because you're a believer and because you're a human being. Same thing with you. Same thing with you. Same thing with you, Matt. All of us, aren't, isn't life tough sometimes? You know, I could, I could do the Joel Osteen thing and say, God just loves you and he wants to bet. You know, I could do that. And I could say, look, if anything's wrong in your life, then all it is is a sign that you're not doing something right. Baloney, though. And I'll call that out, and I will call that name because that's a dangerous, heretical doctrine, gospel. You know why? Because you serve a Savior who was homeless, broke, busted, and disgusted. When his taxes were due, he had to catch a fish and get a coin out of his mouth. He didn't have anywhere to lay his head, and he was murdered at 33 years old. He never held a political office. He never, ever, ever got married. None of these things. You can't tell me that the hallmark of a believer is material wealth. If their Savior was murdered on a cross in which they had to invent a name for how bad it was. Excruciating, meaning from the cross. Here we are, though. We are in, in this section where it is, it is reaching back and speaking to these 
these churches and speaking to you that this, this is what will carry you through these hard times, these tribulations, even some of them that you bring onto yourself through your sins of commission or your sins of omission, things that you do which you shouldn't or things which you don't do that you should do. You Sometimes you bring these on yourself. And I've watched, I've watched as couples have struggled because the man is just a stupid, stupid man. And he does something that's just completely stupid, like stupid men do, right? And then his wife, who is awesome, has to deal with her stupid, stupid husband. But what we see is through this trial and through this tribulation and through this fire, that the, 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 the things that shouldn't be there are burned away. And what's left somehow through the glory of God is a beautiful marriage that's stronger than it's ever been. I've witnessed it with my own eyes. Only God can promise that. Only Christ can do that. Let me tell you something. You going through a struggle today? You going through a fire today? You going through something that you just can't understand why it's happening or how you're going to get through it? Let me tell you, Christian, hold on because God has a plan. Amen? God has a plan. He really does. Okay, so what we see here, and I could, <clears throat> I could go through a bunch of stuff to show you how after this I looked is, is really more tying it together, but I'm, I'm going to let you look over that. I showed you uh, chapter 1, verse 19, and it says that are to take place after this as for the mystery of the seven churches. So he kind of goes through this thing. I'm just going to run with this because I think it'll, it'll even make more sense as I, as I go on and continue on. He says, after this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me, like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Now we are speaking of that which is to take place after this in a vision that is right now, presently, active tense, involved in the lives of those who uh, are going through these trials. So he is going to tell them about uh, the glories of Christ that are revealed uh, and already taking place. This is going to apply to those who are right now struggling, and it is also going to apply to the things that are coming down the pipe. It will do the same thing for you. It will do the same thing for you. Is that when things come, you look back at these truths, and you say, the Lord Jesus Christ has this. Behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me, like a trumpet, said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Who is this voice that's speaking? I think we can, we don't have to spend a lot of time here because he's already, this is the same voice. It's the same type atmosphere that was created in chapter one when he saw the vision of the Son of Man. Listen to the language. He says this I, John, your brother and partner, this is verse nine, in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Check out the one he saw. We all know this. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man. 
We know that Jesus Christ is the shepherd that is walking around amongst the lampstands, which are the churches, and, and we know that Jesus Christ is the one speaking to John like a trumpet, like a blast. The trumpet would announce the coming of the king. The trumpet would announce the victory of the king. And so we see here that Jesus Christ is once again speaking to John in the voice like a trumpet. Now, I would point out that he had already established in chapter 1 that he was to write. Jesus had already established to John in chapter Chapter one, that he was, he was to write down the things that he saw that they might be applied to the churches, the seven churches, okay? This, in my opinion, is a continuation of that, that he's basically saying, after this, I looked and I saw something else I was supposed to write down to help these churches. You see how that works? He never changed it. So he says, and after this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. A couple of little insights that I just kind of caught through that that I thought was pretty cool. is One is, is that he, he looked and he saw a door standing open in heaven. Well, if you'll remember back, here's another reason that I'm convinced that it absolutely applies to the letters. Remember back to the church at Philadelphia and remember Jesus Christ's words or John's words describing Jesus Christ and who he would be to the church at Philadelphia. Listen to what he says in, chapter, in verse 7. He said, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I have set a door, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. You see, so this Jesus who is able to open the doors is the same Jesus in chapter 4 who is speaking. And as John saw the, entry, the entryway into the place where this voice was speaking from was a door. Which if you know J John chapter 14, if you know John, you know that Jesus said what? I am the door. You see, so Jesus Christ is not just the one speaking from within the door. He is the door. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is all-encompassing. We must proclaim Christ is all. You see why today it matters that Jesus Christ can't be a part of your life. He can't be the goal that you're trying to get to once you live this certain type of life. But he is the way that you get to the life. He is the life, and he is everything all encompassed about that life. Jesus Christ must be all, or he is nothing of no good to you. It says here, it says, after this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. We know that John is invited into heaven by the only one that can hold the door open because he is the door. And there's no one that can stop John's entry into this throne room of grace. Why? Is because he is born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is in Christ Jesus. I know that the world's lying to you. I know that they're telling you that you have no right to go into the presence of God. I know that your sin and your flesh says you need to just stay away because you're no good, you're pitiful, you're wretched, you're poor. But Jesus Christ would say, no, I have bought you back. I have redeemed you. I have paid the price. I am the door. I've opened the door and no one can shut it. Are you living defeated as a Christian, it doesn't make any sense. Today I encourage you to look to Christ because Christ is all. After this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me. So he already identifies this as the first voice, the one that was speaking to him in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 1, which we know to be the, the son of man, the one walking in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son. It says, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place. Look, 
This jumped out at me like crazy. He didn't say, could you come up here, please? Or do you think maybe when you're ready, you could could come up here? I got some stuff to tell you. He didn't say, uh, uh, whenever you get some stuff straightened out, do you think you could make your way up here? Whenever you get uh, that certain amount of money saved up, that that, that maybe then you could could come and and hear what I have to say. He didn't say, listen, one day you're going to be in the right place and you can get all these things in order. No. He said, come up here. I love, I love it. I love Jesus straightforward. He's like, get your tail up here right now in Southern Redneck slang. Where are you at, boy? You know? Listen to what he says. He says, come up here, and I will show you what must take place. Jesus has got something he's wanting to show you, and he's not like, would you please? Can you please? You know, I hear all of these pleas all the time, evangelistic pleas. It's like, Jesus loves you, and he just desires for you to come. And he, You know, and hey, man, Jesus does love you, and... Get on your face. Some of you men out here, some of you women out here, you just you putting him off like he's some type of some type of choice, like he's some type of shoe you thinking about buying. Is he some kind of of decision that you think you maybe need to make, but maybe it's not time? I'm calling you to repent of that, and I'm telling you to get on your face and get in front of the Lord Jesus Christ, hear what he has to say, and be transformed by it. Enough is enough. He says, get up here. Get up here. What do you got in your life that's holding you back? That silly little thing. What is it? What is it? And I can call it a silly little thing because there ain't nothing you can tell me that sit beside Jesus Christ as a decision that you would make over Jesus Christ that isn't silly and pathetic. Me too. Me too. What you choosing? He says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. That word must is, is a word that, that leaves no room for maybes. God's got a work he's going to do. God's got a work he's going to do. With you or without you. And if you want to be a part of that work, then you listen to his voice and you come up here. You see how he's calling him up? He's calling him up. You think that you're going to go down when you go to Christ. How many times have I heard, well, I don't want to give this up. I don't want to give this up. I don't want to give this up because I'm going to be so much less. If I give up my friends, I'm going to be less. If I give up my fun, I'm going to be less. If I I give up any of these worldly things, I'm going to be less of a person than I am right now. And so therefore, I don't want to lose out as I choose Christ. But Jesus says, come up here. You see, you can't lose with Christ. I try to tell people this all the time. I try to remind myself of this all the time. They say, well, I might lose all my friends. Good riddance. They wasn't friends in the first place, number one. And two, what a friend we have in Jesus. Right? Ain't no friend like Jesus. You're going to lose three? Good. You've multiplied your investment times a million and trillion and quadzillion and whatever other number. Ain't never been a person that's lost out going to Jesus Christ. Come up here. Come up here, and I'll show you the things that must take place. Well, how do we get up here? How are, what is this process? Well, what is he showing John here, and what is, the, what is the requirement for John to be able to come up here? Okay? 
Now, many of us, we, we insert our own ideas and things that would allow us to come up here, so to speak. And, and I, I hear these things all the time, too. And I'm speaking to somebody, speaking to somebody about coming up here or coming to Christ or, or devoting their, their lives to Christ. I hear these, these things like, well, I got to get a few things straightened out, or uh, I need to get myself in order before I do that, or I got a few sins I got to take care of before I, can, before I can devote myself to Christ. Oh, I, I wanted to come to church last week, brother, but, but I had this and I had that. I got to get a few things straightened out. Well, listen to what John says. After the command, not the request, but after the command of Jesus Christ to come up here, to come into the heavenly realm, to come into the reality of Jesus Christ so that they might know and understand what's truly going on. You see, you can't understand reality without knowing Jesus Christ. You can't understand what's really going on without being in the presence of Jesus Christ because he's the one that takes off the world's filters and helps you to understand things for how they really are. Amen. You cannot understand reality without Jesus Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. They're in Christ Jesus. So he says, he says, come up here. But the way that we come up here, brother, the way that we are to enter into the presence in the throne room of grace is by the Holy Spirit. Check out what he says. He says that once, after the command to come up here to see the realities at hand, he says, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. He says, at once I was in the spirit. At once I was in the spirit. We see the same exact thing in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, John, several other times. John in chapter, Revelation chapter one. He said, I was in the spirit and able to see the Lord. I was in the spirit and able to be in the presence of the Lord. I was in the spirit and able to be able to hear what God says. You see, we think that through earthly means, we will gain a heavenly audience. But it's only through supernatural means that we can gain a heavenly audience and a heavenly relationship. It's because there's nothing good that dwells in us, not one thing. So therefore, the Spirit must kill the flesh and do away with it and bring us up in the Lord Jesus Christ, give us life in Christ so that we might not have anything that hinders us from entering into the throne room of grace. You want to enter into the throne room of grace? Then you've got to get before the Lord Jesus Christ and be filled, slam full of the Holy Spirit. Some of you Baptists are getting on the edge of your seats here. The Holy Spirit, I thought he was just involved in salvation. You want to get in front of the Lord? You want to hear the Lord? You want to walk with the Lord? You want to be empowered by the Lord? You want to be taught the scriptures of God? You know why some of you can't understand this word right here? It's because you're reading it through a, a human lens and only a human lens. You've not prayed and asked the Lord to reveal to you what his holy word says. You see, we understand in John chapter 14, it's the, it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us and brings to memory all things. You got to be in the spirit. And this is a supernatural act, men and women of God. I'm not here just, just, just speaking facts and logical progressions of information. I'm telling you things right now that have applied to your life in a spiritual way, in a supernatural way, that you would be literally transformed into something else. You want to be set free from that sin, but you can't seem to overcome it because you're not smart enough? Well, we already knew that. We already knew that. You need power from on high, amen? You need something from outside, all the self-help, stupid nonsense. You got yourself into that mess. You can't get yourself out. You're just going to make it worse. You need help from the outside. You need someone from the outside doing a work on the inside. 
to bring you to where they are. And listen, I'm not even talking about help. I'm not even talking about help. I'm talking about victory so that you can then provide help for other people. That's what I'm talking about. Amen? Amen. Now, I don't need, this ain't even working anymore. <laughs> okay, all right, here we go. Listen to what he says. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Now, this word stood right here is kind of like it's placed in heaven and it's in its proper place. It was, it was, it was adjusted and situated right in its proper place. And we see this in, in Daniel too, where thrones were placed. And so what this means is, is that Jesus Christ is in exactly the place that he's always been, his proper place, his proper position, which is on the throne in heaven. Now, some things that open up about this throne are just amazing and how, how it relates to us. And I want to try to get those in before we go. So let's, let's walk through a little bit quicker. He says this. He says, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. We know that's Jesus Christ for multiple different reasons. But here's what it says and, about him. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had appearance that had the appearance of an emerald. Now, I want to I go there for just a second. I wish I'd have brought my whiteboard in here and I could have drawn this on the whiteboard. But here's the picture, if you just kind of imagine with me. The picture is, is that the throne is in the center of heaven, okay? And things are situated around the throne, okay, like this. And, and the throne is right in the center. And in the center sitting on the throne is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the things situated around the throne are said here to be like jasper and carnelian. And there's this, uh, th this rainbow that's like an emerald. And, 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 and it's just this, this array of amazingly glorious jewels that would do several different things. Now, I've read all kind of authors, and different authors say different things about these, and some of them assign different meanings to the different stones and things like that, and I won't say that that's all nonsense. I'm not going to discredit that, but that's not how I quite understand this. I think it's reading a little bit into the text if we start assigning meaning to each of the individual stones. In, in Exodus and in, in Ezekiel, we see these stones in the same way that they're here, but what we understand for them there was that they're to be understood in, in a way together, and they are, they are displaying or pronouncing the glory of the king, the glory of God. And so as we see this jasper and carnelian and this emerald, what we are to understand is this glory that is radiating from the throne. Okay, it's like... It's like ripples of glory. Just, you ever seen a diamond or an emerald with a, with a bright light shine on it and it just goes, pew. it goes everywhere. And that's kind of the picture that we have here is that in the center of the throne is Christ Jesus, who we know will be the light of heaven. There will be no sun. There will be no moon. There will be only Christ. And he illuminates every, every square inch of heaven. He illuminates it, right? And so this is, this is another aspect that is meant to be seen here in these jewels is that as they display the glory of God, one way that they are to do that is to uh, magnify the, the glory and the streams of glory that come out from the throne. So it'd be like the, the, the glory of Christ, Christ in all of his glory would be sitting on the throne and from Christ would be radiating this power and this glory. <laughs> And it would hit these diamonds or these jasper, these carnelians, and it'd say, it would be so intense, but then it'd go, 
and it would just fill all of heaven. That's the picture. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it? Isn't it? And it's just this, I just, you know, you ever been in a, near a power station and you hear that, right? Time's infinity. You know, when I, when I read this, that's what I'm like. I'm like, I can take anybody right now, you know? I get excited about this because this is the power. Listen, listen, Tony, what I'm speaking of, you can't buy this at Walmart. Yeah, you got a trial coming? No, I ain't asking. I'm telling you, you got a trial coming. You need this. You need this. And you need to be with the people enjoying this. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you mark my words. Those of you who don't believe me, you say, eh. Uh, mark my words. Pain's coming. Pain's coming. And let me tell you this. When that pain comes, I'm going to show you the pain. I'm going to show you the pain here in a second. Even in the throne room, there's a hint of it there. I'm going to show you this. When the pain comes, it'll do one of two things. It'll wipe you out and destroy you, or it'll be used to glorify God Almighty. The only way, brother, it'll be used to glorify God Almighty is if he holds you together. You see, the glory, you say, I don't know if I can make it to this trial. Let me tell you this. The glory of Christ, the glory of God, depends in a large way on him holding you together through your trial. Let me ask you a question. Do you think he will let his glory fail? Do you think he will let his glory be diminished? I'm asking. Do you? Therefore, can he let you fall? As glorious as Christ is, is as firm is as firm as the promise of your perseverance. Even if it takes your life. You see, John is brought into the throne room and in the throne room Christ is on the center of the throne. And you know why he's there? It's because of the resurrection and the power and the glory because he's God and he cannot fail and he rules and reigns. It's not that he will rule or reign. He rules and reigns right now. And we know from the scripture that you will rule and reign with him starting even now. Don't you know that those things you bind on earth will be bound and those things you loose will be loosed in heaven? You know the power in your hand? You know the power in your words? You know the power in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm telling you right now, believer, let me speak to the believers. I'm telling you right now, believers, is that when you walk into a room, life follows you. You can't sit on that. You can't sit on that. We got to use it. We got to use it. I got to move on. I could spend a while there. That's beautiful. Jesus is just. Now let me ask this one more question. I got to ask this one. Because, because, yeah. Some of y'all, some of y'all, I love you, but I don't get it. Because y'all say y'all Christians. But I don't never see none of that. 
I know we got struggles. I have my own. I got to have my brothers chastise me from time to time walking around in pity and shame like some idiot. Right? But some of you, I see walking around all the time. And I don't never see no, you know? I got to ask. You just don't believe it? You just, I, I don't know. Are you just not taking advantage of it? I do want to, so that you'll know, I know we're getting close to 12, but I want you to, I want you to know that this glory that I'm speaking of, it is not, let me repeat, it is not some pie in the sky idea out there somewhere that's not accessible by you. See, that's the problem with most understandings of Revelation. They see it as some prophetic stuff that's way out there that has nothing to do with me. And one day down there, this might... Let me tell you something. The picture that I just, that Christ painted, that I just kind of helped you see in Revelation chapter 4 is present tense right now. And brother, you can enter in. Let me show you. Let me show you. This is good. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 6. Sixteen, sorry. I'm going to read from 14. Now you listen to this. You listen to this, child, children of God. Now if you don't know God, we've got to just talk after this, okay? But to the children of God in the room, I want you to listen to this. Since then, we, 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 me and you, children of God, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. <laughs> it's kind of like when your cell phone's dying. And you're like, no, one percent. What do you do? What, it's about to fail. It's about to fail. It's about to die. And so you run. So you don't want it to cut off because it takes so long to come back on. And so you're frantically trying to, my kid got my, my charger. Where's my charger? And you run, and you, but you find it, and you get that. The, the case is so crazy sometimes. And then it's like, and you feel it go, and you're like, yes. Throne room is Christian. If you think you can walk through this life without continually entering the throne room of grace and receiving power, you're crazy. You're going to die. You're going to fail. You're going to turn off. That's why we must enter in 
enter in, enter in. It's 12. Y'all got 10 more minutes? Amen. Okay, this is good. All right, so I ain't got way more than 10 minutes. So I'll do this, okay. So we see this, <laughs> this Jasper and Carnelian and, and Christ is just radiating, right? And it's, it's magnifying. Well, then around that, it says that in the midst of those, it's kind of tied in with those. Cause, so the glory of God is tied in with this. And I think uh, Hebrews 4, 16 kind of bears this out. It's the rainbow. The rainbow. And, and we see this also in some of the other uh, prophets when they saw the visions. And uh, I think it was in Ezekiel that said, his bow that was set in the sky. The sky full of rain. What do we know about the rainbow? The rainbow was the declaration by Noah after the flood that he would never do that again. He would never destroy the earth by flood again. So it's this, this, this grace-based promise. And so we see that, that Christ in all of his glory sits on the throne in the center of heaven, that everything centers. Guys, center everything on Jesus Christ. You can't go wrong. That Jesus Christ is in the center of it all. And Jesus is radiating out this power that we have to have in order to stand firm and to be who God's called us to be. And to make it through the storms, we got to have this power and this glory. But his promise is wrapped up even in the vision because he says the rainbow is there around too. So we have grace and mercy that would draw us in by the power of the Holy Spirit into the presence of God that we might be lifted up even when we think we can't. Didn't the scriptures say that? That even when we're faithless, he's faithful. Praise his holy name, people of God. Isn't it good? Because that's a promise that I can hold on to because I know that I'll fail one day. I know I will. Even in all of my, my goofy passion, I have days where I'm just like <laughs> yelling at my wife and acting stupid to my kids and I just need Jesus to say, Come here, boy. When my son got out of the car this morning, I guess the Lord just gave me this this morning. My three boys got out of the car this morning. I went to help Heather in. And they were all looking really cool in their fly black shirts. And, and, and I was like, man, y'all look cool. And Asher was in the middle and somebody had punched him or something. And he just said, ah! And he just crumbled. And usually I'm like, suck it up, boy. And I kind of did that. I was like, quit that. And, but he just, he, I don't know what happened. He just, he just cr melted. And so you know what, my heart, my heart just had to, and I don't, I, I, I struggle with compassion, if y'all can imagine that, but just right in that moment, I was like, you need, you need to get up here in my, I didn't even realize that, come up here. I think I even said that, just get up here. It's okay, it's okay. I know you got things going, it's okay. Man, he's bigger, you see that grace, you see that grace, man? Man, I'm such a sinner. I'm so thankful. Because, see, we could stop at his power. And it could be like, you know, that same power might be like. Doo, 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 doo. But, the, but the rainbow, but the bow in the sky. And you see, the bow has been upwards because Christ took the hit instead of us. I'm not going to get I, I, the, the 24 thrones. Man, we got three verses. It's okay, though. It ain't got good. It ain't got good. You got to be back next week. You got to be back next week because next week I'm going to talk to you about the 24 elders, and, and that's cool. But what I really want to talk to you about is the seven torches and the seven spirits of God and the glass sea. 
I'd heard about this glass sea for a long time, and I never understood what the glass sea was about. But what I found out that it was about, you would never guess. And it's so good. So good. you got to be back. Or watch online if you just can't be here. I know some of you are just visiting. you got church home. That's about all I can do today because of time. But as we all stand to our feet, I want to ask you today. Some of you came in here broke, busted, and disgusted. Let me tell you, some of you don't know me all that well. Listen, I, I, I know what I'm talking about. I really do. And I can say that confidently. I know what I'm talking about. Because you're looking at a man who was a crack addict, a meth addict, a womanizer, a violent man, a drunk, for years and years. I could tell you the stories. But you're also looking at a man who one day was ushered into the throne room by the Spirit of God. And when I saw that glory... And I did. I'd like to sit here and tell you, I made a decision for Jesus and I never looked back. But I'm going to tell you something right now. I wasn't looking to choose Jesus. I didn't. I didn't have anything in me. I I like like doing drugs. I like partying. But one day God said, you come up here. And then he came and got me by the Spirit. And he he brought me up here. And I'm going to tell you this. When I saw his glory, it ravaged me. And I didn't have the power to overcome. I know. I didn't have the power. You see, I can say this with confidence. And no, I'm not bragging. Because I, I can't brag. I was the one literally laying in the ditch, high on meth for, for days on end. I was that guy. I can't, I, I can't take credit. But when that glory came in and it plugged into me and the Holy Spirit revived me, light just come. I just can't even explain. And you know what? Maybe you needed this word. I didn't quit sinning. Christ took my sin. He changed my desires. He he ravaged my life. He gave me new desires. That's not to say that I I don't still struggle from time to time, but I'm telling you right now, when you see the full-on power and glory of God, there's something changes. There's something radically changes. I don't know if you've ever entered into that throne. I don't know if you've ever seen his glory. I don't know if you if you're dealing with something today and you think that you just can't overcome it, you're right. You're right. But I'm gonna tell you right now. If you can't see the power of the glory of God that can out of that text, I have no idea what else to tell you. Jesus is all. Christ is all. And he is the one in the center of the throne room of heaven. And out of him radiates every aspect of everything that you need to be completely complete. Completely complete. If you are wounded and suffering today, if you are half of a man, if you are but a, but a mere mortal, come. Come to Jesus. Come taste in the seat that the Lord is good. Amen. Come.